Well, welcome to the first part of our series, New, which is our new series. Glad that you're here. I want to begin today by talking about a change that's happening in our world. And it's a change um, that I think most of us um, don't realize or are fully attentive to uh, that's happening. Um, Some of us are. Some of us are like in the middle of it right now. So you're like fully aware of what's happening. Uh, But I think most of us, I think most of us have a sense that this change, especially in the Western world, is happening, but we don't, um, it's, you know, we got things going on in life, so we don't really think about it. It's kind of in the back of our head, uh, but the uh, demographic in which this change is most noticeable is with our teenagers, and because, unfortunately, it's a little easier to write off teenagers, um, I want to give them a different title today to kind of realize that this is this is fairly important. This is fairly serious. And, and the new title I want to give teenagers is the title of the next generation. In other words, the future. In other words, the human beings that we have in part created. The human beings who we look at to ask ourselves, did we do a good job of raising and helping the next generation? Did we help them to make good decisions in their lives? Because really, that responsibility, for the most part, is on our shoulders. And so my hope is, regardless of your age, regardless of your past, you'll take this seriously because all of us have the opportunity to make a difference in this particular area right Now, and here's what's happening to the next generation. The next generation is asking questions about faith, about religion, about Christianity to parents and grandparents and friends and family, and and they're asking good questions. They're asking tough questions. But unfortunately, what's happening is what we need to talk about. We're really going to, in a lot of ways, spend the rest of this series talking about it. And to explain what's happening in like a nutshell, in a really summarized moment in time, I want to um, give you a little bit of an analogy. Uh, I it's a bigger analogy, but, but it's just an analogy to explain what's going on, okay? And what's going on right now in the world is um, teens, or the next generations, are th- seeing things and hearing discussions uh, that you and I were rarely exposed to growing up, because they have access to things like TikTok, to YouTube, to social media, uh, to Netflix. And they have watched religious debates, religious documentaries. They've watched people question faith in a way that you and I were never exposed to growing up. And then what happens is social media takes what you watch and gives you more of it. And so kids are essentially, you know, like almost, um, you know, um, getting all this information uh, in an overwhelming way almost because if they watch one video that's questioning faith, then Facebook and and YouTube will give you more videos about that. And it's it's simply just overwhelming. And so then what, what the next generation is doing is they're going to parents and they're going to friends and they're going to family because they trust those individuals in their lives. They go to them and then they hit maybe you up with questions that are pretty big. They're questions like, well, how do you reconcile the dinosaurs with creation? Or how do you reconcile miracles? Can they, are they really possible? And, you know, what about science? What about archaeological evidence for religion? Why is there suffering? Does God really not care about us? Questions that maybe you've even wondered yourself, but your Sunday school teacher told you to just have more faith. That was their answer for everything. Just have more faith. So you kind of gritted your teeth and just said, oh, I'm going to just 
have more faith. And, and so you just, you've grown up and that's just the approach that you've taken. There's nothing wrong with that. But just that the generations, the next generations are changing. And so you want to help your child. You want to help your niece or nephew. You want to do the best thing that you know how to do. And so what you do is you go and get your faith box, okay? And so here's just, you know, a a physical example of your faith box. Now, unfortunately for many of us, our faith boxes have been kind of sitting up in the attic for a while or sitting up on that top shelf. And so we get, you got to get them down first and you you got to dust them off a little bit because they're a little dusty. Okay. Um, And, and so you get them down and it, and I, and I made it a present um, because, or I should say Stephanie, my wife wrapped it because let's be honest, it wouldn't have looked this good if I did it. But um, I made it a present because for many of us, we consider our faith or what we believe about religion and and the the world and creation, all that kind of stuff. We kind of think it looks okay. We think it looks pretty good. And and we've kind of put a nice bow on top of it. And we just, and and then we set it up on the shelf and we just kind of leave it there. Now I realize some of you would say, well, Taylor, I don't, I don't really consider myself uh, or my faith rather to look so perfectly. Um, And I totally get get that. I get that it may not look that together like this does, and that's fine. In fact, that's totally okay. If, if yours is maybe just the box underneath, you don't have the wrapping or the bow, and that's totally okay. Um, in fact, for some of you, you're probably like, I'm not really a Christian yet, okay? Maybe say you're an atheist, or you'd say you're an agnostic, or you're kind of like nothing, okay? And that's, that's fine too, um, but the reality is you have a box too. You have a box, and maybe your box is really nice just like some Christians do, Because a while ago, you decided that God doesn't care, God's not really there, and you're just going to live your life how you want to live it, and uh, make your decisions how you want to make them, okay? But the reality is, to do that, you have to decide that God doesn't exist, you wrap that belief up in a nice uh, paper and a bow, and you stick it up on the shelf, and you live your life that way. You have a box, too. It's just a different box. And so regardless of what your box looks like or what it's filled with, you try to hand that nice box, your faith belief system, to your teen, and you think it's going to be enough. But how wrong you are. Because as nice as your faith box looks, it is very, very difficult to keep up with The reality that is YouTube and social media and all the different mediums in which people can get information, all the different ways in which people can find things to question their beliefs and and preconceived notions about things. And unfortunately, your answers aren't sufficient enough for their next generation questions. In fact, their questions start to tear into a little bit your nice little box. And, And that's not fun. When you hear that ripping sound, it's not fun when things start to fall apart. Because, you know, if you're a Christian, if your box is a Christian box and the next generation is going to come at you and say, well, you know, explain Noah's flood, explain, explain creation to me. If you're an atheist box, you know, maybe your teenager is going to come to me and say, well, doesn't it require faith to believe that there is no God because essentially there's no proof that God does or does not exist from a scientific framework. So don't you have to have faith too? And just your faith is just different in its sense, but ultimately you're just trusting that there is no God, just like a Christian is trusting that there is a God. And that's kind of confusing for you. And, and then um, some of you are like nothings, you know, and, and God is just a fiction. And so I just, I'm like going to walk away from religion altogether. But you know deep down that there's more to life in the universe. You just don't want to face it. 
it and you don't really want to change. And, and so when your teenager starts pushing back on you, that's uncomfortable. And so then what unfortunately uh, happens, uh, unfortunately, and, and I realize that's a little harsh, but it's just, it's, the reality, it's what's happening. And the reason it, I know it's happening is because that's what the research says. Because between 2007 and, and 2017, so approximately the last 20, 10 years, the only religious groups, my friends, the only religious groups that grew, in fact, they didn't just grow, they doubled, were atheism and nothing. Atheism and nothing. And I think this is happening because we're talking about our beliefs we're talking about the beliefs that our parents gave to us, not because we've personally discovered them or come to them on our own, but just because this is what they've always been. And we've tried to take that, that faith, that pre-YouTube faith, hand it to our kids, and unfortunately, it's just not enough. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying all this because I'm trying to place blame. This is not about placing blame or guilt. This is about the future. Let's say that one more time. This is not about placing blame. I'm not trying to get you to feel bad or ashamed for, you know, the condition of your faith box or what's in your faith box. Okay, I'm not. This is about the future. It's about the next generation. It's about your kids. It's about my kids. It's about their grandkids. And so what is their faith worth to you? What is your, their faith worth to, you, worth to you? Or look at it a different way, Okay. Who do you want them to put their faith in? Because we are a faith-focused people, okay? We, we can try to avoid thinking in terms of faith and religion all we want to, but we put our faith in things all the time. We put our faith for our future in something, okay? So we're going to find something to put our faith in. So in other words, for those teenagers, who or what is the alternative for them if it's not God, if it's not Jesus? Is it politicians? Do you want your kids putting your faith in politicians? How about money? How about CEOs? How about athletes? Will they be able to provide the good values and ethics that you hope for that the next generation needs? Or will those CEOs and, and popular people and Instagram stars and athletes, will they fall short as we all tend to do? Over the next few weeks, I hope you're going to be here. Because I want to invite you to look at faith and Christianity specifically in a new way. To look at it both for your sake in a new way, but also for the sake of the next generation, for our future that we love and our kids that we love so much. And I want us to, to have an honest conversation about the fact that this version of Christianity is not a new Christianity. It's not something new. Honestly, the faith and the Christianity that we're going to look at for the next few weeks is the Christianity and faith that, um, that has been since the beginning that was really there in its purest form right at the start, right after Jesus' death and resurrection. But unfortunately, I just really think over the last 2,000 years, which is not uncommon for things to change over 2,000 years, we've just strayed from the original version of Christianity. And for all of those of you who are, you know, saying, you know, I have a fairly, fairly comfortable faith, you know, I, even in a digital world. I'm so glad for that. 
But I hope you'll join us, and I hope you'll be willing to open your eyes to help other people, other people who are not as firm and secure in their faith, and the next generation who will not be as secure in their faith as your generation was, help them to navigate it better. Because it really doesn't matter where you are in your stage of life, you can be a part of this. Now, to dip into this conversation, to begin this conversation, I want to um, begin with uh, a question, okay? And it's a question that I think we all kind of know the answer to, but, you know, just for a starting point, this is where we're going to start. This, this is the question. Where do people go to find answers to faith questions today? Where do people go to find answers to faith questions today? If you're joining us um, online and, and uh, you're comfortable, throw the answer out in the chat because I will read them later and I would love to hear your answers. Where do people go to get answers to faith questions today? I think in a lot of cases, it's parents, as we mentioned earlier. It's, it's people whom children and next generation trust. But especially once kids leave their homes, they go off to college, which is when we see a sizable drop-off in church attendance, participation, and faith participation. It's the stage in which we see the greatest degree of uh, now adults choosing to go with uh, other religions or just nothing at all. The number one thing is Google. They trust Google's results more than anyone else's. And the important part of this question or the answer to the question that I want us to realize is where kids and uh, new adults are not going, they're not going to churches to find their answers. They're not seeking out the pastor. They're not looking for their Christian friend or family member to ask questions. Research from the Barna Group, which is a Christian organization, much like the Pew Research Center, just specifically for Christian um, research, they say um, that the, the generation that is leaving the church leaves because they feel like the church is hostile to doubts. The church is hostile to science, hostile to... Um, uh, different people groups, people that may not fit the biblical narrative so well. Um, they feel like the church has become politically motivated, judgmental, and unwelcoming. And honestly, when you read that list of things, you got to think to yourself, well, if that was my experience, I'd probably avoid the church too. Yet what's so unfortunate is 2,000 years ago on Easter, Jesus rose from the grave. We celebrated that last year, right? And, or last year, last week. Last Sunday, it, well, we celebrated last year too, actually, but, and we'll celebrate it next year. Um, but Peter and John, we talked about last week, and other disciples saw him, a, a resurrected man. And we talked about last week that we have faith, not because the Bible says so, and not because a pastor told us so, but because men and women saw the resurrected Jesus. And what happened from that point on in church history, honestly, for the next like 200 or so years, the church was not hostile. The church was not seen as hostile. In fact, they were seen as the majority or the minority, rather. They were seen as weak. They were seen as um, a belief system in some cases that needed to be exterminated. They were a belief system that was not politically motivated. And, and really, the only accusation that... Um, 
that people threw at the church at that time for the first 200 years of the church was that the church was just so persistent, that Christians in particular were just so persistent. And then we start to get a glimpse at what was happening when the church first began. And the first kind of indication of this we get is right after the resurrection, we, we read it in the book of Matthew. So we're going to read the tail end of the book of Matthew, and then we're going to read the beginning of the book of Acts. But at the end of Matthew, one of the four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay, in the third to the last verse in the entire uh, book called Matthew, something incredible happens. I want you to listen closely. In fact, a ton of incredible things happen in in this little passage. There's so much jam-packed into it. But one thing I want you to listen closely as it pertains to the next generations and their questions and their situation. Okay, I want you to listen. Okay, here here we're going to read this. Here we go. Then the 11 disciples, because one of them, you know, betrayed Jesus. Okay, he's no longer part of the 12. So now we're down to 11. 11 disciples went to Galilee, because that's where Jesus said to go, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, Jesus, they worshipped him because he was a resurrected Jesus. Some of them worshipped him, but some of them doubted. So did everyone have their faith perfectly figured out? No. Honestly, how realistic is this? That the author of Matthew didn't just say everybody worshipped him, everybody believed he was the resurrected Jesus, there were no questions, everybody was good, it was perfect. But that's not how he writes it. He said, some still doubted. In other words, they acknowledged doubt. They wrote it how it happened, which is honestly Understandable to some extent that, you know, a guy who they saw crucified died and buried. And then three days later, they met him and saw him alive. It was hard to believe. So some doubted. Then we switch to the book of Acts. So essentially, this, this, uh, the Gospels all end. And the next book to pick up the story of the church starting um, was the book of Acts. Dr. Luke, we've talked a lot about him. Luke wrote the book of Acts, and he wrote the book of Luke, the Gospel account of Jesus' of life. Okay, And here's what Luke says in verse 1, the first sentence of the book of Acts. He says, in my former book, Theophilus. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. In other words, he's saying, hey, I wrote you a book, Theophilus. It's, we know it today as Luke, okay? But now I'm going to write you another book. And the reason he's writing another book is his friend, Theophilus, has some money to, like, obviously fund Luke and fund, fund this endeavor of, of figuring out what's happening with Jesus and this new um, religious group um, of, of Christians, okay? Um, but uh, and so, and Luke says, okay, well, I can, I can help, you know, I'm glad to help and I will try to help. And so I'm going to write these amazing documents to help you decide if um, what has happened here in Judea and what has happened here with Jesus is really the truth and that you then, Theophilus, can decide to follow him. So in other words, the whole book of Acts is written to try to convince in a doubting person, an unconvinced person, what the truth was about Jesus. 
And then what's so interesting is he even goes on to expound on this whole situation. Here in, in verse 2, he continues, Until the day he, Jesus, was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After, this, after his suffering, in other words, his crucifixion and death, he presented himself to them and gave many, so he rose, rose from the grave, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Okay, another, again, why did Jesus have to provide proofs? Because many people doubted. The church and Jesus were aware that people were doubting. And they didn't just like say, well, you're not good enough and you should leave the church and you're you're not going to be a part of it, okay? They helped to provide proofs. And address the questions about Jesus and the resurrection. Some of you are familiar with a guy named Doubting Thomas. That's not actually his name, okay? But we just gave him the the title Doubting Thomas because why? He had doubts. And Jesus knew he had doubts. And Jesus addressed him. Addressed his doubts. And Thomas believed. And Jesus said, hey, it would have been better if you believed from the first place. But you didn't. So I'm here. And now you believe because you've seen. And blessed are those who believe and have not yet seen. Why is all of this happening? Because Jesus and the early followers of Christianity realized that the claims of Christianity were difficult to believe. There was a lot but they were not afraid to address them. They were not afraid to have a conversation. They were not afraid to adjust how they spoke, as we're going to learn about as we jump more into the book of Acts and as we're going to talk about throughout this series, um, how many times they felt the need to adjust how they were speaking, address what the question or the answers they were giving, to provide explanation to the audience that they were speaking to. It's why our vision as a church, like infused church, our vision statement is to make churches that unchurched people love to attend. In other words, people who have been away from the church for a long time, who have doubts, who have questions, who have maybe in some cases never been to church. We hope to be a church that is seeker friendly because that's what the early church was. And why was the early church seeker friendly? Because everybody was not a Christian at that point. Pretty much the whole world was not a Christian at that point. It was full of people seeking Jesus. And today, to be a seeker-friendly church is kind of seen as like a negative thing. But to me, I'm like, wait a second. The entirety of the early church had to be seeker-friendly because otherwise Christianity wouldn't have spread. They had to consider who their audience was and what was going on in the world around them and how they could address it and how they could introduce Jesus to them. And it was messy and it was gray. It wasn't black and white. They didn't have it all figured out. As you read the book of Acts, you figure out they had lots of questions. They had lots of things to figure out. They were trying to figure out what food they could eat. You know, could they use, could they eat food that was um, used for pagan sacrifices? Okay, which rules of the Old Testament to follow? How are we going to help the poor? They had all sorts of things to figure out. But listen, Christians didn't just stay in their church buildings and avoid skeptical people and expect that skeptical people were just going to, on Sunday mornings at, you know, 1030 in the morning, they were just going to show up and come in and say, hey, we have all these questions. No, they didn't do that. 
mainly because they didn't have buildings, but also because they went to the places. They, Paul went to the marketplaces. They went to have uh, where the philosophers met and had conversations with them. Um, they had conversations because conversations change lives. And also because there was no New Testament Bible. So they couldn't just hand out Bibles and expect people to read them and people to come to know Jesus. They didn't even have that yet. The entire beginning of Christianity were difficult, hard conversations and building relationships. But they actually changed lives. And no one, no one had their faith in theology perfectly wrapped up in a bow. Really, for the next few hundred years, Christianity was not considered to have everything perfectly figured out. And really, today, it still doesn't. But beside the point, they didn't expect everything would be figured out for them. But listen, they approached doubts and questions and issues in a different way than we do today. See, their doubts and questions weren't excuses. They weren't excuses to stop asking, to stop seeking, to stop looking. They were starting points. They said, I have an issue with this, and I'm going to use this as a starting point to grow. And they obviously found their answers. Because as we talked about last week, the church exploded into the world from the point of Jesus' resurrection on. Because people saw a resurrected Jesus and they shared the world, shared that truth with the world. And I think we as a church need to do a better job of welcoming questions and having conversations and stop acting like we have it all figured out and that Christianity is going to be okay for the next thousand years. Because that's not necessarily how it works. God has invited Christians to participate with him in spreading the good news. If the Christians, it, right after Jesus' death and resurrection, wouldn't have spread the good news and shared this truth with everybody and been comfortable with doubts and questions, the church would not have grown. But they didn't stop. They didn't stop having conversations. They welcomed the conversation. They were okay that things were a little messy. They were okay that things didn't always line up perfectly. People are going to have doubts. And people are going to use those doubts to not show up. And they're going to use those doubts and they're going to turn them into excuses if we don't give them a better reason to continue to ask questions, to continue to seek and I don't have enough um, time and ability with 30 minutes every Sunday to communicate all the answers to everyone's questions. I'm just not that good. But we all can. We all can talk to the next generation. All of us can have conversations. All of us can start seeking. I think we would all do better if we told ourselves and others, when things come up, when questions are raised, when doubts are put forward, I think we could all benefit from saying something like this. Question. Let's figure it out. Regardless of the season of life we're in, the age that we are in, 
the spiritual journey that we're in, I think we could all benefit from telling ourselves sometimes when we have questions and then telling others when others have questions, hey, great question. Let's figure it out. In fact, if we were all together right now, I was hoping that we could all say it out loud. And so wherever you're watching from, you know what? I want you to speak to your TV and your computer screen right now. And here's what I want you to say. And we're going to count to three and do it together. Great question. Let's figure it out. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Great question. Let's figure it out. Because this is what Christians and Jesus followers did from the beginning. And we need to be way better at being open-handed, open-hearted, and open-minded to the world and the reality around us. Because it is shifting faster than we are adjusting. You can... Be discomforted by that. You can be made uncomfortable by that, but that is just the truth. And so you can either make a decision. You can choose to take a posture of this, or you can just put your faith box up on the shelf and walk away and ignore it and say, well, the next generation is just going to have to figure it out. But my friends, if we don't help, if we're not there, they will find answers, and they're not going to be from people who care. They're not going to be from Christians. My friends, you rarely find what you don't seek. The next generation is seeking because the next generation is experiencing people who are asking questions that they never thought of before and that you've never dealt with before. And we don't need to panic because I think a lot of us are panicking. And we don't need to think we have to have it all figured out and perfect as everybody else has it or look at other people's boxes and say, well, their box is so perfect and until I'm just as perfect as they are, you know, or until I have it figured out quite like Pastor Taylor has it figured out, I can't talk about it. That's not the truth at all. You just have to start. You have to start seeking. Jesus started the church to help, to help others, to teach others, to share the good news, and that's what we need to be doing. We started Infused Church to help, to help people who are seeking. A church for imperfect people to explore faith and find community. And I just know through my own life that Jesus is worth following. And Jesus can help with all of those things, but sometimes it just takes a friend or a family member or a parent who's willing to say, that's a great question. Let's figure it out. If you would, bow your heads and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, things are changing. It's difficult at this point to even know how much. Yeah, the metrics are out there, Lord, that that many people are turning away from faith altogether. They're pushing back against all religions of the world, including Christianity. But Lord, that doesn't mean we just let it happen. That doesn't mean that we just stand idly by, that we just excuse ourselves and say, you know, we've served enough and we've answered enough questions and we've done our part or we already do our part. Lord, we need to change our attitude to an attitude that recognizes that we could either leave the next generation behind or help. Lord, help us to help. Help us to be like the early church where they were honest when people doubted. They didn't try to write it out of history. They didn't try to write it out of Christian history. They wrote it into Christian history. They understood that some things are hard to believe, 
But they didn't just leave it there. They got to work helping, answering, having conversations, discussions, dialogues, debates on topics that matter, topics of faith and values, because they knew that the world was headed in the wrong direction. And their answer wasn't the politicians of the time. Their answer wasn't the popular people of the time. Their answer was you. Lord, help us to be a church that is welcoming to everyone, doubts and all, and that we don't judge people for the condition of their faith box. We simply extend a hand to help. Lord, give us the strength and the wisdom to live that out as comfortable and as uncomfortable and vulnerable as that may make us feel sometimes. In your name I pray. Amen.